This is Live On Purpose Radio, episode 578, Toss the Guilt and Catch the Joy with Marilee Boyack. Now is the only time to create and live the life you love. I'm Dr. Paul Jenkins, the positivity psychologist. My job is to connect you to powerful positive psychology principles that immediately upgrade your relationships, business, and mental health. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. And joining me today is an attorney who can expand your life. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's your title, Marilee. You're, You're not only an attorney, you are a very popular speaker and author. You've been very prolific uh, through your career, providing people with some hope. And I love that because the principles that you teach people turn on the lights and, and give them an opportunity to feel something other than guilt and shame, which is far too prominent in our society, I think. And instead, tap into some things that can actually create joy for them. So I'm just thrilled to welcome you to Live On Purpose Radio today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I don't know where that introduction encourages you to go, Marilee, but it's interesting that someone with your training, your professional credentials, you've you've chosen to spend a fair amount of your time outside of that legal office and the documents and things that you're so skillfully handling in your profession to really connect with people on a level that makes a meaningful difference. And I, I would just love to have you share a little bit about your story. Where, how did oh. you get there? You know, and it's one of those things, I, I was raised in Detroit. And mm. I can't tell you how many times I think, how did a little girl from Detroit, Michigan and end up here and doing this and doing that? And, uh, yeah. you know, I have had so many marvelous opportunities and experiences that I just never, ever dreamed of. Um, I'll tell you, though, I have had a driving passion for uh, looking forward and planning. Um, I've always been a planner ever since I was a little girl. And and I've been... interestingly talking about this with my, I have four sons and we've been talking about this a lot lately. I had this vision of who and what I wanted to be as a grown up, And I set some very big goals. And that was always just out there of this is who I will be. Um, You know, I wanted to, I loved reading. And so I I thought I made a goal. I want to write a book and publish it, you know, and I don't know, what are we up to 13 books later? Right. Um, that just kind of grew and grew. But I think I was so impacted um, at a very young age by speakers who would come to our area and speak. And I tell, in fact, I tell this hilarious story of going off to college and being so homesick and seeing a giant class going on in the big ballroom in the student center and sitting in the corner. Um, it happened to be a very popular speaker named Don Black. And I literally had my life changed in 15 minutes flat when he taught me the act as if principle. And I went out of there a changed woman. Um, And 
And I thought, you know, if my life has been changed so much in such a brief amount of time by these wonderful people who share what they know, that just appealed to me. So I'm one of those really sick individuals who, you know, put me in front of several thousand and I'm a happy clam um, because I love the opportunities to share. And let me tell you, I am guts, feathers and all vulnerable share the the things that I've gone through and learned and and the things that sometimes I'm still in. Uh, one of my books right. I wrote, was, Trying Times Just Keep Trying. I wrote it in the middle of my breast cancer journey, you know, right in the middle, smack dab. You know, and so uh, I, I try to um, share with others the things that I'm learning along the way, the things that we're all learning together. Um, right. It's been, it's truly been thrilling. Uh, you know, now I get the letters and the emails and the notes and uh, from people whose lives have been changed in a few minutes, you know, and I just think what a what yes. an exciting privilege. It, it really is an exciting privilege. Well, I'm I'm remembering um, one of the mantras that was shared in the National Speakers Association about the privilege of the platform. Mm -hmm. And it truly is a privilege. To have the microphone in front of that group of a couple of thousand people that you mentioned. And yes, it's a little uncommon for people to crave that, to want it. Enjoy it. <laughs> but I remember one of our speaker colleagues, uh, Hall of Fame speaker, Dan Clark. And I, I heard this. I don't know if he said it, Marilee, but that's part of the point, right? It's what you hear that's the most important. And what I heard was speakers change lives. Oh, yeah. And you have just shared a, a beautiful example of that. That is true for me. And that's one of the reasons that I feel so driven to share messages that liberate people that change their lives in a moment as they realize uh, or come to grips with a principle that maybe they weren't even aware of before they heard you speak. And it's a rush. I, I'm with you. It's exciting. And it's so funny because I'll go to speaking events where I'll stand up and I'll speak and then I'll go down and sit on the front row. And the guy that was sitting on the front row goes up and he speaks. And I think what a marvelous opportunity that we have to learn together. Yeah. And I think it's it's so important that we share what we know and not hoard it, not, um, you know, uh, minimize what we're learning. I, I think these experiences are are so important to share with one another. Um, it's part of the reason we have. Um, I remember when I. Oh, I agree. Uh, breast cancer at the same time I was running for re-election at the same time I was traveling the country speaking. I mean, a lot of I call it the combo pack of adversity. And I can remember right. going through all this and thinking part of this learning journey is going to be sharing with others the things that I've learned through this. Um, and and I just kind of collected those wonderful golden nuggets all through those experiences. One, I, I remember one. Um, I was sitting in the room, waiting room uh, at the surgeon, breast, breast cancer surgeon's office, mm. and she was always running behind, always, always, always. So we knew the you know you know an hour long, three hour long tour. So we're all sitting in, and some of are sitting on the floor. I mean, the place is crammed, and it's crammed with suffering women. So I turned to the lady next to me and I said. I'm a lefty, stage 3B. What are you in for? You know, and she just looked at me. I was in California. I mean, you just don't talk to each other. You don't invade the space, you know. Yeah. And so she 
Like, uh, you know, so she starts sharing hers and I turned to the lady next to me and I said, you know, so where are you in your treatment? And, and I started to go around and I, and I just was, and I'm there bald as a billiard ball, you know, wearing my, my survivor buff. I, those are great on bald heads, by the way. And I remember going <laughs> and getting everybody, everybody started talking and sharing what they were going through. Um, and I just, every time I walked into a, a, a waiting room, I wanted to just radiate love radiate love to these people who are suffering. So we get around across from me as an older woman. And she said, uh, my cancer has come back and my husband died last year. And I've decided I don't want to live. The whole room got quiet because these are all women who are going through treatment and everybody's right. just, and I said, Oh, that's calls for a group hug. And so I grabbed everybody, and, and I'm telling you, this is Southern California, they don't do that. I grab everybody up and we gather around this woman and we give her a big hug. And I looked her in the eye and I said, was your husband a good man? And he said, oh, he loved me and he was a great husband. And I said, he wants you to live. He wants you to live and be happy and fight. And I said, and he needs more time to build your mansion in heaven. So you need to fight. And she just kind of, and everybody was just encouraging and loving. And it was this powerful, powerful moment. And later I went to the surgeon. She said, I knew you were here. She said, every time the women come in when you're here, it's a changed thing. And she said, especially the woman who had decided to die just told me she wants to live. And, and we're just like, you know, you get these privileges of these experiences. Yeah. We, we have to share and, and encourage each other and love each other and lift each other up and not be bogged down by, you know, worry and negativity and all these things that just can smush us down in our lives. Um, and, and it's it's incredible. You know, you talk about these things that smush us down. And I believe default is down. Mm -hmm. Because gravity is always on, right? You never hear of someone falling up. <laughs> you park your car on a hill and leave the brake off it's only going to roll one direction right and so there are natural forces that that pull us down like an emotional gravity i i totally agree with that i totally think that's true especially in today's world um i i think that there is uh, you know there is such um especially among women you feel this pervasive guilt feelings you know, they're looking at Facebook, going yeah. Instagram and thinking, oh, man, my family doesn't look like that. And, you know, I love to post stuff with without my makeup or, you know, messy room or whatever. Some of the messiness. Come on, you know, because, you know, women and men carry around this guilt of, oh, I'm not perfect. I'm not making a zillion dollars. I'm not a size six. Um, and they just carry around these unrealistic uh, worldly influences and expectations and demands where, you know, none, yeah. of, it, none of it's real. None of it's real. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, I've been to, we're talking about this. We've been to Africa. It's like every night I say prayers of gratitude from my bed and my pillow and my blanket. It's just like, right. thank you. I mean, we, we worry about so much that is just so worthless and meaningless. So unnecessary, and it brings about unnecessary misery. Mm -hmm. That's something that caught my attention. I, I looked over all your titles before we had this interview. And the one that caught my eye was this toss the guilt and catch the joy. 
And even as you're talking about Africa, you and I have shared that experience where we spent some time in Africa seeing a culture, a place, a lifestyle that is completely different from what we might enjoy in the in the Western United States. Oh. And <laughs> wonderful. I mean, these people live in huts that are built out of sticks and cow dung. And they're happy. And, and they're, they're happy. So right. What yeah. is it about this guilt? And I think part of it's the emotional gravity that we we're talking about because default is down, but there are also cultural trends and traditions, and we've got programming, we've been trained, taught, and educated to think that certain things are important. And we always, I know I chose that word carefully because my editor tells me to always avoid the word always, but we always fall short of the ideal. Sure. It's it's kind of like the rainbow or the horizon. You can't go there. It's not a real place. But we get it in our head that we have to look this certain way or do this certain thing Talk to me a little bit about your experience with that and how you how you help people with it. You know, it was, uh, you know, in going through my 20s and 30s, you're you're wanting to be the good mom and you're wanting to be a good wife and you're wanting to be the good lawyer and you want to be all these things. And, and you know, as we age, we kind of go, I don't care what other people think. You know, I really don't care. I'm <laughs> and you begin to hopefully, hopefully not everyone does let those things go bit by bit by bit. And so. Um, you know, when I wrote that book, Toss the Guilt and Catch the Joy, it really was very much that transition of um, letting go of the list, you know, of expectations, right. of the list that other people say, you need to be, you know, I don't, you know, and and just, and and letting go of that and instead bringing joy back into our lives and saying, no, what what brings me joy? What brings me happiness? How can I create a life that is is going to have an upward, uh, you know, momentum and 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 bring me joy? And I think we need to be very intentional about that because if we don't, if we don't, the world's pressure will fight against us all the time. And I and I wrote in my other book, in trying times, just keep trying. When I was writing about adversity, you know, one of the first mm -hmm. decisions. You know, when I, I had, oh, my gosh, so much going on, so much going on. Yeah. Uh, husband lost his job the day after my chemo ended. I started radiation. I mean, the list is long. So anyway, I realized that I had no control and I'm a control freak. And and that was a hard lesson for God to teach me was you have no control over anything. And I remember realizing the only thing I had control of was my head, my attitude. Yeah. And I thought I can be mad and frustrated and angry and upset and bitter toward God and railing. And I can choose all that negative very easily, very easily with everything. Oh, yeah. Um, or I can choose to be cheerful. And I, I can remember consciously thinking I will choose to be cheerful. And so I, I would get dressed every day, which was painful because I was having so many surgeries. And I'm walking up my little hill you know, where I lived about three houses and I would think, I'm cheerful. I'm crying. I'm cheerful. I'm cheerful. And I would just fight for that uh, every single day, every single day. And I remember encountering a woman at church and she said, um, you know, I want to see what's under your hat. I had this fabulous wool hat. And I said, mm. sister, under there. And she says, no, no, no. I want to see under your hat. I said, there's nothing under there. And finally she said, let me see. I thought, ah, brace for impact, honey. So I tilted it up and she goes, you 
or bald as a baby's butt. <laughs> I said, <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. And then she said something that was really uh, quite, <sighs> she said, you are so sick and you're bald and you have so much, you know, hard things going on in your life. How can you choose to be happy? How can you be so cheerful? And I said, I have a choice every day. I can choose to be upset and miserable yeah. every day, or I can choose to be cheerful and happy. I choose happiness, cheer, and joy. And she just kind of hung her head because she was a very negative person. And she said, I can't do that and walked away. And I thought, mm -hmm. it's a choice. Does not matter what is going on. Good, bad, hard, difficult, does not matter. This is a choice every day, every day. So that was, that was really powerful. And, and interestingly, when I met with my uh, plastic surgeon after my first big giant surgery, uh, reconstruction surgery, he, the nurse said, oh, you healed. So you're healing so quickly and so well. And the doctor said, well, of course she is. I said, how do you know how I would heal? He said, I knew within 30 seconds of you coming into my office. He said, you bounced in here and your survivor buff with a smile on your face. He said, I knew you would heal well because that attitude impacts every cell in our body. Yes. When people come in with that, I know they will heal well. And I watched a man, I was doing chemo and I watched a man so angry. And the nurse said, I said, oh, you know, what's got in? She said, oh yeah, he has cancer. And she said, and he will die. And mm. I was startled by that. I'm like, and he did just, it wasn't the cancer that killed him. It was attitude, attitude. That's that story that you just shared with us is so tragic. This lady that hung her head, not realizing that she has a choice. Mm -hmm. And the thing I love about the kind of work that you and I both do is that we open people's eyes to the fact that it is. And until you see it as a choice, it's not because you're going to roll with your programming. And the, the awareness of it is a first essential step. And it's not easy. You said you were crying as you were saying, <laughs> I choose cheerfulness. <laughs> Well, and I'm just like, you know, I mean, it was, it was hard. It was rough. Uh, it was hard. And, you know, I chose to be grateful. And some days it was hard to find stuff to be grateful for because so many bad things were, hard things were, I don't say bad, so many hard things mm. uh, were happening all at the same time. And I thought, no, I'm, I'm going to choose to be grateful. I, I'm, I'm going to choose to be um, a willing learning participant in God's plan for my life. And I, in fact, I remember, I remember sitting in my car and the doctor called and said, where are you? And I said, I'm a half mile down the road. And she said, turn around. It's not good. And I remember sitting there thinking, Oh my gosh, I have breast cancer. And my first thought was, okay, what am I to learn from this? And I hung on to that instead of, why me? This is terrible. And let me tell you, a lot, whole lot of hard, hard, hard happened. And I, and I didn't say why me. I kind of was asking why all at once, but I hung on to that. What am I going to learn from this? If we can hang there, holy cow, these can be enormous blessings and enormous learning opportunities. So I can't let this one go because you made an automatic correction just a moment ago. When you said when bad things, when hard things 
I'm not going to call it bad. I think those were your words. That is that is key to reversing this trend, to being able to toss the guilt and catch the joy. Painful does not equal bad. Mm -hmm. Difficult does not equal bad. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing kind of between the lines, Marilee, that this cancer journey that you had, which you know that our family is experiencing right now, too, is my son, stage 3B, mm -hmm. uh, sarcoma in his leg. Mm -hmm. um, we're, is it a bad thing? Now, obviously, it's hard. It's painful, difficult. All those things are true. Check, check, check. Is it bad? And yeah. I can't say that it is because there are upsides and there are downsides. And I'm, I'm seeing in your story that this journey for you has enriched your life. Oh, is, is that taking it too far? No, no. So, so true. Um, you know, people will say, you know, when they hear everything and there's, like I said, so much, um, mm -hmm. poor thing. And I say, please don't say that. I say, I, God was able to teach me in a very, you know, three-year time, compressed period of time, so much that I could learn in no other way. I right. could learn these things in any other way than, than what I went through and what our family went through. Um, and, and I think when you reach, and I don't know how many you know, of your audience are, are um, have uh, a faith basis to their lives, but I felt like um, God was taking me and said, okay, you're here, but whole oh, brace, you know, we're going to take a ride here. Buckle up. And this is the only way you're going to be able to do that. I mean, just learning empathy through all of that. Um, you know, now I look at people and I think, wow, you got dressed today and you probably showered, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm just way to go. You know, I, I was, I, because I remember, I can remember walking through Walmart where I live and I'm walking through Walmart and I had a cap on and I can remember people kind of looking at me. I was on the city council. And so I was, you know, pretty recognizable and they're kind of staring at me. And I thought, yeah, everybody, I'm bald on there. Mm -hmm, thank you. And I remember walking through the store thinking, you all have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea all the other things that are happening. Yeah. And I thought, I'm, I'm going to give that gift to others of assuming they have something hard going on that I know nothing about. Just that shift um, of empathy was worth going through everything. Um, absolutely. Wow. It, it was absolutely worth it. I wouldn't give it up. And I think when you can shift and say, you know, oh, I'm going to thank God for my blessings it's weird, but I thank God for the hard stuff now. I've got several adult children going through some very painful things right now. And and part of me would like to pray it away and say, oh, just fix this. But part of me is like, uh-uh, let them do it. Let them live it. Yeah. Let them learn. That's the way they're going to grow. That's going to bring them to who they need to be. They can't do that with just, you know, butterflies and unicorns popping around in their lives. They're going to learn and grow. And why would I, why would I pray away that wonderful painful, difficult learning experience. Why would I pray that away from my children? What a terrible thing. And so now I just kind of sit in the pocket a little and go, yeah, <laughs> let them learn, let it hit. It's hard. It is so hard yeah. as a mom watching kids suffer. You just want to go in and fix it all. And I think, no, 
that's the only that's the way I grew. Why would I rob them of that? Yeah. You know, change well, the way. when we're talking about guilt and shame, I think also of of anger, and a lot of times we replace empathy with anger because we don't want to feel what we're going to feel when we see someone we love. Oh yeah, in a hard time. And so we convert that to some other active emotion like anger. We end up yelling at people or trying to control things that we have no business controlling and no ability to control. Yeah, that's a hard lesson to learn. And it often is learned in a very painful way. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. And you learn life and then guess what? You get to learn it through all your children's lives going through their train wrecks as well. Right. Oh, yippee skippy. Here we go again. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, Merrily, we could talk for hours, I'm sure. But there's another question I want to ask you before I let you go. And it has to do with the second part of the title of this book, To Catch the Joy. I know that changing your mind about something, it's like what Wayne Dyer used to say. He said, when you change the way you look at things, The things you look at change. And I don't think you're saying that you ignore the pain. In fact, I think I'm hearing in your message, you embrace it at some level. Because the joy is defined by and created through the pain, the difficulty, the challenges. Talk for just a moment about your idea of catching the joy. How is that done? Mine's weird and different, <laughs> you know, some oh, good. great joy in cooking. Alas, I do not uh, gave that to my husband. So I, I really wanted to drill down um, through both this metamorphosis from my toys and thirties and forties, and then into this, you know, difficult experience. I wanted to hone in on what brought me joy um, for me. I find joy in helping others. Uh, There's Mm. just, there is just, that's it. Bottom line, I love, I was raised by a father that just uh, was the most charitable man on the planet. Um, That was ingrained uh, at a very young age. I was six years old and we painted big drums for his coworker's son who had muscular dystrophy. We painted these for days. It was in the days, the prehistoric days before decals. And we painted and painted and painted all these skins. And I will never forget, I was six years old. I will never forget dropping them off on the porch. Had a big bow from Santa Claus. It was right before Christmas. We're sitting out in the car uh, listening a little bit because it's Detroit and it's freezing. And to hear that little boy run out to that porch and see those and squeal. Oh my gosh, imprinted, very yeah. young. Um, you know, fast forward, uh, I and so I'm very intentional about how I spend my time. Uh, life is short. And man, I don't want to waste time doing things that are not meaningful to me. Mm. And so now um, I've gone through, you know, a variety of iterations of things that I do. Now I do pro-life work um, and I work uh, saving babies' lives. And helping the mamas, you know, and so I work with Pro-Life Utah um, and boy, you want to talk about meaning, you know, when those babies are delivered and and we share the pictures, you look at that baby and think that baby would not have been alive if it hadn't been for our efforts. Holy cow, is that a payday? You you know, you want to talk 
and the mothers are feeling supported and encouraged. We do a lot for them and, and happy. And they're so grateful. And they, and they, they write us these lovely, you know, notes saying, I look at my baby and I think, oh my gosh, how would I have felt, you know, if I'd gone through with that? And I'm so grateful. So I think each of us, you know, you've done work in Africa. I've done work in Africa. I think finding ways to be very intentional in adding meaning into our lives counteracts a lot of the worldly wastefulness, you know, that's going on. That's just not important and not necessary. And um, we're squandering. I see so many people squandering away the time in their lives. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, oh, there's so much good to be done. Even if I, we had this lady, I told you I was working with Mothers Without Borders in Africa. And I had this elderly client of mine and she said, do the children need clothes? I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know, you've been to Africa, they're in rags. And so she had been a designer. This woman proceeded to sew little dresses and little shirts and cargo pants for the children in Africa. And she stopped counting at a thousand. Oh, and wow. So sewed until she died. And she had this little picture that we had of the children before and after, which was remarkable. And she would say, these are my babies. This woman sewed and sewed, and she would design each one a little bit differently so that they had something unique, a little bow or a little ribbon or a pocket or whatever, so that each child had something unique. She sewed thousands. And I thought, what a life well lived that in those senior years when most people are sitting in their, you know, recliner watching TV and sports and, you know, whatever, I, she did that wonderful, good thing. And I think that mm. is really brings meaning to our lives when we drill down to what can we do to help others around us and that helps us wow powerful message there's so many psychological reasons why what you're sharing with us is exactly what our brain needs to experience happiness to catch the joy and it's available by choice that's the good news wow merrily thank you for showing up and blessing us today. Yeah, I love it. I hope everybody has a great good stuff. Life-changing epiphany that they can look at things a little differently. If if you're feeling inspired by this as I am, go find Marilee. You can find her easily marileeboyack.com. Spell her name with two r's and two e's. M-E-R-R-I-L-E-E, -E, Boyack, B-O-Y-A-C-K. There's a dot com where you can connect with her books and what she's doing to bless the world. Um, I think we've all picked up something today. And as always, that knowledge, we're not learning to know, we're learning to do. So take what you've learned today and go apply it in some way. I think uh, what you said there at the end, Marilee, about catching the joy has to do with applying what we know to serve, bless, enrich, lift other people. That's the key right there. Awesome. Okay, you guys, you've heard it. It's time to apply it. Let's all go live on purpose. Did you get what you came for? Give yourself the gift of taking real action on what you realized today. Please share this episode with someone you know would value it and leave us a rating too. 
It's time now to live on purpose. <laughs>